Welcome back to the From Pain to Peace podcast. Um, obviously, this is our first episode of season three, so I'm super excited. And if you haven't listened to the other seasons, I suggest you do. I want to first introduce our first guest of the year. Um, if you haven't listened to the trailer, go back. We're doing something a little different this year. But she's someone that's been on the podcast before she was part of my season one um she was my first video guest that i've had and i love bringing her back onto the podcast because she has such a plethora of knowledge when it comes to eating disorders and in my personal opinion i feel like this is connected to sexual assault for a lot of survivors but also a different type of trauma that I think people can really relate to, especially within society standards of every woman's body or anyone's body at this point. So sit back, relax. This will be a nice video episode about eating disorders. If you're feeling triggered, do not hesitate to pause or get yourself out of this podcast if need be. But I do recommend anyone and everyone to listen to not only this podcast episode, but our first one about food freedom and to also listen to her podcast as well, which we'll introduce at the end of the episode. So I hope you enjoy the first episode of season three. I just want to say welcome back, Mallory. I know we had our first podcast episode. It was really great. You guys haven't listened to it it is in season one she was my first video podcast episode on from pain to peace but i know in that episode you kind of talked about what you are doing as an influencer especially around um i don't want to call them diets right people that have um needs pretty much need help right with understanding how food influences them in their life. But I do want to just do a quick introduction of like, since that episode, what have you been doing? Um, how have you been helping people in any like new projects that have come up? Yeah, it's so wild to think about when that would have been. I feel like with my current stage of life, we've moved into a lot of different apartments. And I was like, what apartment was I in? <laughs> it was my past one before this. So since then, I've definitely been doing a lot of the same thing, working with women that are struggling with their relationship with food. Maybe they're a chronic dieter. Maybe they've dealt with an eating disorder at some point, whatever it may be, and working through those things together and healing. The main mechanism of which I do that is through a group coaching program I have called Live Unrestricted, and that's my favorite thing to do. So I have that, but I've been building out some new programs too, which has been really exciting for even like practitioners that want to learn to do this stuff. So lots of fun stuff that's been going on. And overall, it's just more of the same, but expanding it in a different way. And we still live in Austin, Texas and are doing all the things that you can do eating, going around, trying new places, being outdoors since it's like 80 degrees here, which we love since it's March. <laughs> so all that type of stuff. That's great. I mean, I got a chance to go to Austin for a few days and I was just like so in love. And then if people haven't been in Texas, I honestly believe Austin is more of a foodie city than Houston is and has better seafood 
and I'm a seafood lover. I guess I can't seafood here. <laughs> but if you haven't been, that's besides the point. You should go. <laughs> the Austin is really fun. But I do want to actually touch on, I know you have Live Unrestricted and you're helping people kind of heal through their eating disorders or their issues with food and eventually get to food freedom, right? That they're not really thinking about, oh, I'm eating way too many calories or I'm eating intentionally or (laughs) I'm doing macros and everything you see right now, like through social media around how you should eat, what you should eat. Oh, am I bloated? Blah, 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 blah. Right. (laughs) Um, I do want to talk about like just things that may come in the way of the difficulty of healing through the disorder or just your view and food. And I just want to talk about first, you know, the society's view of the body. Mm. obviously women have felt this so much throughout so many decades and men tend to feel it more now too. And they're talking more about it as well. Um, But I want to talk about like, how do you kind of go over that hurdle with people? Because even with social media, I see it with like my niece, she dresses like every little teenage girl now, which in my mind is Aaliyah in the (laughs) nineties. And I'm like, why does everyone need to be skinny? <laughs> and I, I still think back like as a teenager, oh, I used to want to be skinny, but I didn't always want to look like everyone else. So how do you help people kind of get over like first that society's view of what their body should look like, especially since it's changed and maybe we can talk about the Kardashians because what they did blew my mind, but yeah. <laughs> there are so many things that go into this and it's really complicated. So even within my program, body image isn't just something that we touch on one time. There's so many elements that we break down and educate on. So for example, we talk about set point weight, we talk about metabolism in the way that you can understand not only what the end goal is, quote unquote, because it's not like we're trying to reach that. It's just a better picture of what it may look like. But then also how the heck do we feel accepting of where we end up. And so that part of education is different than the piece of, okay, how are we accepting of it? Which some of the methodologies that are not my own, Brianna Campos is one of the creators and she's also a therapist that really coined this term body grief, where you learn how to grieve the thin ideal or your ideal body through the stages of grief, similar as when we lose someone in our life, not to compare the two, like it's the same, but helping yourself to think about it in the same way and experience those emotions that come with it, because we can't change just overnight the way that society unfairly judges different body sizes. And that's the really crappy part of the journey is that that's not something that I can change or the person can change. It's something that we have to decide we want to fight against and not adhere to. And so that takes a lot of mental work and restructuring. And of course, in my program too, I make a big effort to give credit to the people that really not only deal with this more intensely, right? Because I still recognize that I am a thin white cis woman. It's not like I encounter the most challenging pieces of body image in the world. Like people of color and mostly women of color have been the ones that have been putting this on their back, like many other things, right? And 
having to push this forward. So we talk about that narrative as well and, and what, how that can impact us. And then we have the tangible piece of it. Like, what do we actually do? Which is, of course, like you're saying with the Kardashians, starting to strip away those type of influences. Like, I'm not going to follow them as I watch them go from their past like curves and having their BBLs and boob jobs to then now taking those out and going on Ozempic, most likely, although they never admit anything that they do. But also, you know, get rid of the old clothes that don't fit me. Change the like mirrors that I have in my house that are always body checking. Like all of those things kind of have to come together as approaches to make it the most sustainable. So it's the least simplistic part of the journey, no question about it. And oftentimes, like you're saying, it presents the biggest challenge for people because all of the things I just mentioned, they're tied back to our worth. And that makes it really hard because our painful experiences are conjoined with that too. I like how you said grieving your old body. Cause I, I guess I've never thought of it that way as in like grieving the fact that I will probably never be a size zero ever again in my life, just for the mere fact of our bodies as women's are made to at some point birth <laughs> a child if we choose. Right. But it gets into that mode of adding the extra weight and preparing for a child and childbearing years where sometimes that way you just can't get rid of in those years at all. And then you just kind of, you were stuck with it maybe till menopause, <laughs> you can shed it. But like to actually think of it in a way of like grieving your old body, you're no longer a teenager with the super high metabolism, always running around, always moving constantly. Maybe you weren't sports or not, but you're always moving in comparison to an adult lifestyle where you're maybe more sedentary at a computer eight hours every day. And that ties into the ability to have a higher metabolism. So it is actually nice to hear because now that I'm in my thirties, it turned 30 last year. I'm talking like I've been in my thirties <laughs> five years, but like you start to realize like, oh, okay, this is my body now. It's going to change if I have a child or whatever. Right. But I think I'm getting into that mode of like trying not to count macros because one, I just think it's, it's a lot of work to be mm -hmm. honest. I don't want to weigh my food. I don't want to do it, <laughs> but I know people do it. Right. So like, how do you help people that have either gone through that phase of like weighing their food or trying to appease to this is how I'm supposed to lose weight. And also people like me where I'm starting to get to the point of like, I am trying to eat better, but how does that work for me in a place where it's not negative influence to myself? Um, because I'm, I'm learning on my own, or maybe I have a coach, a nutrition coach that's telling me, right, to count my macros in order for me to lose weight. The weight loss field is a tough one because there are a lot of different opinions and most people that work in weight loss, I would say 99% of them, they're going to have conflicting viewpoints to my viewpoint. Now, what I would say would be the exception is that there are people that, you know, maybe like are on a medical journey that 
are working with someone that kind of specializes in weight loss because they're really at a place in their body based off their labs and everything that's just not healthy for them, which is less people, honestly, than we would think when we actually look at labs and stuff. And they may be coordinating with their true like weight loss professionals that are able to communicate about weight in a really non-diet positive way. And even the way that they speak about food coincides more to what we talk about. But of course, it's a little different than someone that may be residing in a body that is underweight, right? We have to look at those two people differently, but less differently than society makes it out to seem. And that's, I think, what my answer to your question would be is that those people that are trying to get you to count macros, it could be, I mean, balance your blood sugar, focus on your gut health through these different changes, follow a diet, restrict these food groups, whatever it may be. Unless there's like an actual allergy that you're experiencing why they're telling you to take something out, it's really in the long run going to be something that ends up exhausting you. Kind of like what you're saying, right? Like there's only so much that you can do. And often that still leads us into the kind of roller coaster where we're up and then we're down and then we try this and we try that. And none of it really ends up as us feeling like we're sustainable. And so the approach that we take is different. It would be that we're going to focus on fully having that freedom with food without rules. So for example, it would be weaning off of the macro counting, learning to get in touch with hunger and fullness cues, allowing yourself to have foods, even ones that maybe that person hasn't had in the past. And our goal is to get you in touch with your intuition so that we are able to not only educate you and like, okay, well, here's what could make you feel your best when we, what we know about nutrition and food, but also here's how we know that if you're able to get in touch with your intuition, you will feel your best because you're going to make choices that help you to feel good. So it's kind of a roundabout answer because we wouldn't focus on the weight loss itself, but many times there have been people that have started intuitive eating or started the basically rejection of diet culture that end up in a place in their body that feels much more aligned because of the fact that they're not on that roller coaster anymore. And they're really more in line with what makes them feel their best. So that's the the long answer to it. And there's a lot more that could go into that. So it's both long and surface level at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I feel like this year was the first time I heard hunger cues and it like kind of blew my mind. Cause I was like, what do you mean hunger? <laughs> <laughs> like I just kind of eat and eat right like because I realized I've already realized like sometimes I am a stress eater there are certain emotions that get to me where like I just want carbs right like I want pasta I want pizza I want brownies I want ice cream because in that moment I want to feel comfort um so it's just interesting <laughs> at least in my journey I've said like I do want to lose some weight just for the mere fact of like health wise, my cholesterol, my bad cholesterol is getting up there where I've never had bad cholesterol in my life. So I was sitting there like, eh, a little older, but it is nice to hear like when people do talk about like understanding your hunger cues, like, are you actually hungry or are you thirsty or are you just completely bored? And there just mm -hmm. happens to be food there. Um, but it is nice to hear because I feel like in the nineties, when my mom was dieting, it was like the beach body diet. Mm -hmm. It was the no carb diet. It was boil your chicken. <laughs> like it was just 
nuts. It was just pretty, and it was pretty bland and bad and gross. <laughs> totally. Um, but yeah, it, it's nice to hear at least when someone, someone like me that has never heard it and it's explained to of how do you get to that point, um, really does help because it kind of comes into like understanding your own emotional cues as well. Um, and understanding like what in this moment is making you stressed to the point where like you feel you need comfort food at that point. Like, is it something you can completely cut off or rewire your brain to say, maybe I don't want the comfort food. I just need to go take a walk because now I'm stressed. Right. And I'm not trying to say like you should do exercise and replace for food, but just for me, right. Sometimes that is, I go sit in the sun or take a walk with my dog because I'm that stressed that eating the food is just going to make me feel more stressed. Um, so yeah, it is. Nice yeah. To- I do think there's a lot of factors that come into play and what you're saying is super important and something that we evaluate because we may have someone that when they feel stressed or emotional, they take actions such as over-exercising or under-eating, right? And then we have other people that feel similarly to you. You know, when they feel stressed, they feel like they're reaching for food. And also the ways in which we react to stress before that point where I'll say it's kind of like the blow-up point or like the breaking point also affects how we feel. So even though we may not recognize it, like you're saying, we're not that in tune or we didn't even understand hunger cues, you could have been under eating the whole day. I'm not saying you are, but let's just say hypothetically, you could have been under eating the whole day because you were stressed. You didn't feel your hunger cues. Then you get to the end of the day, your body's like, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. So I'm going to tell her to have the quickest energy source possible, which is carbs and ice cream or whatever it may be. Right. And then we're like, okay, well now I ate that and you shouldn't have eat that because you're stressed, which in some ways is true. Cause like we created that pattern. Like we don't want to reach for food just when we're stressed all the time, but it's also all those compounding factors. And it's really, really hard to sift through these on your own. Like when you yeah. don't really know like what the heck is going on, but for us, like I say us, because I'm thinking about my live unrestricted team, which is like me and other dietitians. But for me, like when we look at that, I'm like, oh, okay, I would do this, 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 and this. And I could lay out all these things, but how would we know to do that when we haven't been taught it? That's near impossible, right? Yeah. <laughs> Especially with social media throwing all of this noise at us too. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually funny. I was laughing when you said that because sometimes my husband does it. And it's not like an everything <laughs> thing, but he'll be stressed all day. And then at the end, he's like, I'm starving. Mm. The first thing he does is get pizza. <laughs> <laughs> he eats a full large pizza by himself. And then the next day he's like, I shouldn't have done that. And I'm like, yeah, I wanted to tell you, but you know, um, I gave you that pizza night because I know it happens like once a month. And I'll give you that night and then we'll get back to regular scheduled programming for our food. But it is kind of funny because for me, I'm not like that at all. I'm like, oh, I'm stressed. There's food already. So I'll eat that. But mm-hmm. it's, it's just funny to see like the different stress triggers, especially because he doesn't recognize in the immediate moment that he's stressed. And I ha- I'm kind of like, oh, no, you need to stop and eat lunch because what we're not going to do is order pizza and then go get brownies and then go get crumble cookies and then ice cream. And then you're looking at me like, why'd you let me do that? <laughs> totally. <laughs> so, yeah. But I do also want to talk about like, I know sometimes people 
do the opposite, not the opposite, but another portion they kind of get into, especially now that the celebrities are doing it, is doing like Ozempic or other fat weight loss drugs, which in my mind sounds nuts, right? Because <laughs> just I'm just thinking about from the standpoint of like Ozempic is meant for people who have diabetes who can't get it, but then there's people using it from a weight loss standpoint and not clicking the fact that like, hey, you're taking away a drug that someone may desperately need to manage their insulin and that's the only way they can get it and that's the least expensive portion of having diabetes and you're just using it from a weight loss standpoint. So how do you kind of get people off, not I guess off the drug, but also in a way of like understanding not only the side effects to them, but the side effects or the effects they're having on other people using those drugs um, that are actually meant for something else. The classism and privilege piece of it is the wildest piece to me as well. It's not that crazy to me to think about the fact there's some new weight loss drug, right? There always will be. And we'll see the exact same cycle that we always do. People are going to use it. They'll use it for a little while. They'll get off of it. They'll have the bounce back phase or they'll keep on it and either go into debt or just have the money to spend it. And then there will be side effects that come out, whether it be in two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years. And people are going to be like, oh my gosh, probably shouldn't have done that. It's like, yeah, same thing with every other time we've seen this, right? <laughs> when you're using it in that capacity. I mean, a lot of celebrities out there are using it to lose like five, 10 pounds. It's like, this is crazy, right? Yeah. And then if you put that into the context of what you're saying, it is actually a drug that's specifically for those that are dealing with diabetes is extremely helpful. And they've been able to see that over many different kind of trials and tribulations of people using this. And so I think that for some people that may genuinely not know, just that education piece and allowing them to understand that, hey, you're not just, this isn't just available to everyone. I get that your professional quote unquote doctor is telling you that and handing it out like candy, but there are people that are less privileged that are not getting this because of you using it. And the fact they're selling it to you think for some people that would click. And then unfortunately there's people that just don't care. And those are kind of like the lost cause people that I just do not understand at all. And I think that the bigger picture of helping people to get off of it is really allowing them to, it's helping them to shift their mindset around weight and telling them that, well, you can't tell them, but trying to help educate them and empower them to see that that's not what's going to bring them happiness. It doesn't, right? There's never, it's never good enough. And that's when we realize that it makes a big difference in people's mental health, but that's a whole journey that you would have to take someone on in itself. So. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is kind of, shocking to me because honestly the way medicine works right is it's made for something specific yes it has maybe some additional additives to it right that does help with other things but when it's sold <laughs> to be something specific like and intended to be in a way that should be used it should be used in that way and the weight like ozempic the weight loss is just an added effect right like and it's probably is helping someone that has diabetes that's taking it that may need also to lose the weight, start that journey to lose the weight, which is great. But 
Yeah, it does kind of blow my mind because sometimes I feel like people almost compare it to like Botox because Botox was made for headaches. But the added effect to that was also you didn't have wrinkles in your forehead <laughs> on top of that, right? And then now Botox's main use is wrinkles within your face. And I'm not saying that's bad, right? But <laughs> it was still all originally intended for chronic headaches. And I feel like people forget like the way medicine is used and the way they go through all these lengthy trials. It's because to help with something else that people can't live with, right? Like I can't imagine still having the chronic headaches I used to as a teenager. And luckily the chiropractor was just enough for me, right? Like I didn't have to resort to other medicines. Um, but Botox gets expensive, people. Just so you guys know, like it starts off like ten to twenty bucks a unit, but when you put like twenty units in your face, that's a lot. Of money. <laughs> totally. So yeah, but I do also want to talk about. I know we kind of touched on like the Kardashians and just celebrities and influences and stuff like that. Um, and I know this touches on social media. What do you kind of? I don't know if you necessarily have people that are in your program that are of like teenage years or anything like that, but would you kind of tell them, because at least from my view, you start to see teenagers start to look up more to celebrities and influencers. And I think that a lot has to do with the way media has been run and the way basically our politics have run and the way religions looked at and spirituality is looked at that a lot of people geared towards celebrities or influencers as almost like a source of truth instead of at least as a teenager you're not doing your own research right you're looking at someone that looks just like you on tiktok saying this is the next best thing and then the next month it's something else right like right now i feel like it's celery juice <laughs> um so how do you deal with like clients like that I mean how would you deal even with me like I feel like I'm seeing people drink celery juice all over the place and they're like my skin's glowing and I'm like yeah but that shit is nasty and I, <laughs> like are you like why are you subjecting yourself and I just I don't know I don't know how you feel about that and maybe we can talk about like we even talked about the Kardashians right they used to dream of having and I'm just going to say it, dream of having the black woman body, the mm -hmm. ultimate black woman body on this earth for whatever reason, right? But would never come out and say that's what they wanted to look like. And now it's, I want to be so skinny that you can see the thigh gap I have from 50 miles away. And maybe we can touch on that. But it, to me, it was a really scary. <laughs> it was like terrifying and I was also sitting there as a black woman like I can't take well technically I could go pay and have my fat taken out right I could right but in my mind it almost made me feel as though you put black women on this pedestal and didn't really like give them the credit and then you also basically told everyone now we're essentially ugly even though you continue to use our culture in different ways right so how do you feel about I guess the privilege of being a celebrity and being influencing and just kind of telling everyone what works well, but also like dealing with, I guess, younger clients that really look at social media as like their source of truth because there's people that look like them on there. 
There's so much to unpack within this as well. First of all, I cannot agree enough with what you were saying about the Kardashians. I mean, they appropriate so much, but especially they do exactly what you're saying with just, as you said, I feel like they wanted to be this stereotypical, like, okay, we want to be the black body of a woman. We want to benefit off of that. And I've had clients and people I've talked to that it's been really upsetting for them. And like, obviously I wouldn't try to act like I can understand that, but just holding space for the fact to feel like there was this moment where their body felt more accepted, even idolized in a way. And then it was just in a, it felt like it was taken away. Like some of that progress, it's like, is that even progress? (laughs) It's hard to argue because it's like, well, if the Kardashians are pushing it along, it doesn't feel very progressive, but at the same time, it is good to feel more accepted, especially if you haven't been in a body that felt as accepted. So there's that one piece of it. And the fact that there is a sense of, I think, grieving that goes along with not even just that, but the ways in which the body positivity movement, which really took root, I mean, maybe five, three, four years ago and had some progress with it that we all saw allowed for more people in different types of bodies that typically haven't felt as accepted to feel more accepted. And that was a really cool movement for a lot of people. Now, what's really crappy now is that it's not as if that progress has gone away, but it's not in the limelight anymore like it used to be. Like we've seen that shift in the Kardashians and other creators, and we've seen the Bella Hadid body now being glamorized again, and all these people that very obviously have eating disorders, plastic surgery, most likely are getting lipo, all this other type of stuff, right? We see all of this, And the problem is, is it's not just the celebrities like the Kardashians and Bella Hadid. It's also then the influencers. I would like to think of it as a pipeline, right? From celebrity to massive influencer to medium all the way down to the consumer. And inherently, these apps like TikTok and Instagram, and we don't know if this is purposely oriented in this way to be harmful or if it's just the inherent biases and just problematic judgment that our society holds, but they push out white thin creators. That's what they do. Mm -hmm. And so then there, it's not to say that other people can't take popularity, but it's all over my page. If I hear like these women, like um, Monet, I don't know if you know who she is. Like there's these really great creators that we'll talk about. It's like, how do I not get these opportunities of the same stuff? Right? So they push this one type of person. And then these women will engage in different things that, of course, it's not their job, quote unquote, to guide the masses, but at the same time, they are. That's the reality that I see in my programs that I hear from teenage girls. And right now, the whole thing is women getting boob jobs. I've seen like 10 girls on my feet getting boob jobs. I'm not even kidding. They come to like, well, do I need to get a boob job? Is this a bad thing? Should I be getting lipo? She just got lipo. Like, It is truly, as you said, it's almost as if this is like their religion and people will comment stuff like that. And I'm like, this is crazy to think about. So that is some of what I see happen. And it's so not only problematic, but also I think quite scary. And the truth is the easiest way to think about it is that every single thing that you're seeing on your For You page or online, even in magazines too, but I think we see it more online now, then we do really focus on magazines. It is an industry that is trying to profit off of you and your insecurities. The wellness industry telling you to drink celery juice, obviously it's not as if that direct influencer is getting paid by the celery juice organization to promote (laughs) celery, 
but she's putting another cog in the wheel of the big wellness machine to make money. So if she puts that on her page, she then gets, you know, attention from people, either that following makes her money or the program she does make her money. It's even if it's overt or it's obvious, it's still all about profiting off of you and what the wellness industry, the fashion industry, any type of beauty industry does is they say, this is the standard for this current time. Try to meet this standard. But there's no we we can. We can't meet the standard because no one ever feels like they're good enough for it. And then they'll change the standard. And so you're in a constant marathon that has no finish line. You yes. just continue to spend money and feel like you're not good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I really brought up the celery juice because I really think it's gross. <laughs> um, I mean, I literally just saw it today on a page of someone that like does food. She pretty much does everything like lifestyle food. And she was just kind of like, I'm going to document my journey of drinking celery juice. And I was kind of like, you know what? I'm just not going to look at your page next week <laughs> because if you had it, like, even if you just had celery juice or you've had like, celery juice in a smoothie or whatever or in a drink like those little green machine things or whatever it is gross it is <laughs> really, really gross like i don't get it i mean all of us ate ants on a log it's the only way we were gonna eat celery anyways and your ants were eating marshmallows or raisins so <laughs> i don't understand why you want juice of it but i understand why people are doing it right because mm -hmm. they see other people do it they see their skin clear up. They see, they feel like it's almost like, um, what is that effect called? We're like, placebo? no, yeah. It's like a placebo effect. They it see is. everyone else do it and they feel like that's what they're feeling. And I'm always yes. kind of like, okay, to each his own, but also you've got to admit at some point it's gross. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you're not going to do this every day for the rest of your life. And that it's, like, not sustainable. Like, I'm not going to get a juicer just to juice celery. Like, I can't do it. I don't even get a juicer now, even though I love juices. It's just a lot. Exactly. A lot to do. Um, but, yeah, I think it is. I like how you said, like, I felt that way, right? When the Kardashians kind of took their implants out. I was like, they weren't necessarily celebrating me, but their bodies were accepted. We yeah. have to realize, like they've become almost D-list celebrities to A-plus celebrities in a matter of years, right? Kudos to their mom. She is the greatest manager on this earth. I will totally. give her, right? <laughs> she has learned how to manage out of her ass, <laughs> okay? And take care of herself. But she got, they got to that point where they were showing bodies that weren't accepted because they had those voices, but they didn't also let the space for black women to have that voice as well. And I do love the body positivity movement. And it is kind of sad to see like, it's not as forefront. And I know Lizzo's really big into that. Um, but how do you, so that's the other thing I kind of want to talk about. Cause I know with food freedom could also come with you being more, I guess, accepting of your body, accepting of foods, um, but also sometimes people, I think, take some things to an extreme, right? Like body positivity is great and all. And I know people get hounded for this, especially men. When men say you can be body positive, but you could also be very unhealthy, right? And people take it like 
oh, you just don't like me, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, you could really be unhealthy, right? Like you could have really bad high cholesterol, high blood pressure that tends to heart disease, like all these other things. So how do you make sure like people understand, even though they're going through this journey to get to food freedom, that they're not now on this other extreme of the spectrum, right? Where they're, they're past that point to the point where like, they may become unhealthy in their own bodies. Totally. Yeah. It's a very complicated topic and answer, especially because when we're talking about it at large, it is so hard to apply because of our internal biases about how we view different types of bodies. So one thing I would say is in our medical system, it is internally biased and judgmental. For example, BMI is not an accurate scale. And we know that, right? And yet we still classify someone as overweight that in reality, they're not overweight. And we can't simplify them to that. So that's one example of, of how the system itself is problem problematic. And it's just not quite correct. So why I bring that up is because the ideology that I follow is the Hayes mindset. So that's health at every size. But I do understand when people come in with the viewpoint and they say, okay, that's great to be body positive, body positive. But there are still times where you could feel body positive or body accepting and be unhealthy. And finding the balance between those things, in my mind, almost always comes back to the actual science. Because I think that's where people get lost. The man on his For You page duetting someone and saying, that's great that you're body positive, but you shouldn't be because you're unhealthy. He doesn't know. Like, he doesn't know what their labs look like. And that's what I think you're getting at that is important. Was every single person out there, in my opinion, has complete bodily autonomy to do what they want. If they do not care, they don't want to worry about their health, that's up to them. And it's the same thing when you see someone not worried about their health, whether they be in a set point that's over or a body that's over their set point or under, right? That's their choice. Do we want them to make that choice, especially their loved ones? Probably not. They're probably trying to push them against that. But when it comes to actually looking at their health, we need to stop judging just based off how they look and go to their lab. See, what is their cholesterol like? What is their LDL like? Their HDL? You know, how are their triglycerides looking? What are their blood sugars? You know, what's their A1C? And there are people, I've genuinely seen this in practice. I've encountered this poor man that was like 21 years old. He was in a very, very large body and it inhibited him in so many ways. He had perfect labs. He literally had for years, he had a genetic challenge where that was just what happened for him. And he was constantly judged doing everything that he could. And it was just so sad to see. And then on the other hand, I've seen someone that presents as so quote unquote, physically healthy based off the size of their body, which again, doesn't really tell us anything that have had really, really unhealthy labs and been all over the place. And so I think the place for body acceptance, which is what I like even more than body positivity, although I appreciate everyone that promotes the body positivity movement and everything that it's done. I just think body acceptance feels a lot more doable for a lot of people because it's saying like, I don't have to love my body all the time. Sometimes I don't like it. Sometimes I do. I just accept it. Um, but it's saying like, yes, you can have that at any stage, but also we want to make sure that you feel good and empowered in your choices around your health. So it's a mix of all of those things in one. Yeah. Yeah. I find it 
interesting because my husband's a marathon runner mm-hmm. and he's not the typical size of a marathon runner. I will say that. So he's not skin and bone. My husband's almost 200 pounds. He's got, I swear it's so funny because his legs are so heavy. Like I can't hold them. <laughs> like if I were just to pick up his leg, his legs are pretty heavy. Most marathon runners, if you've seen them, they have very skinny legs. They're very, very tiny. He is not very, very tiny, but he runs like crazy. And everyone says, oh, he must be in the best of shape, best of shape. And they are surprised to hear that he's had high cholesterol since he was the age of five. And he can do everything, right? Diet, no red meat, cut dairy, run marathons all day, every day. Doesn't change the thing. (laughs) And it's just genetics. And I find, and people find it so mind boggling because they're like, he looks in such great health. And I'm like, yeah, he eventually is going to have to be on medicine just from the mere fact of genetics, right? And him getting older, that he really can't do anything else. Like, we've done it. We've tried it. Doesn't move a needle. We can do it for a whole year. Won't change a thing. <laughs> Even doctors are surprised, right? Because you go through medical school and they tell you what you should look for and blah, 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 right? But I, I just find it funny to hear and see people's mind boggling brains. Cause you can kind of see the face when people are like, what do you mean? <laughs> and I think it's kind of funny, but I do like how you say body acceptance. Like you accept your body. It may not be every day. And I know for me, it, it is not every day. Um, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest and some days I feel great. And some days I'm just like, I don't necessarily like my body, but it's here. I'm walking, I'm breathing, I'm able to eat. I can run somewhat. (laughs) I'm not a marathon runner, I will say that. But like, I'm able to function, right? Without help of others or anything else, which is great. And I'm grateful for to be alive. But yeah, I do understand the whole man on social media saying, well, you look unhealthy and it's like, Healthy does look different at different sizes, ages, genders, races, because you don't know what people's health does look like unless they indulge that with you. But yeah, it is a very good point. Um, I wanted to also talk about just your view of how do you think food freedom, food freedom feels? So I know we really haven't touched on your story because we did talk a lot about it in the first episode that we did, but I guess, how would you describe in your mind, like what did food freedom feel for you when you got to that point? And what does it feel like in this moment now for you? The best part about food freedom is that it's so different for everyone not just the way that it looks because of exactly what you were just saying, you know, that genetics piece we were just discussing, it's, The same with food, the way that someone ends up having a balance with food is so unique. And I think that's one of the coolest parts about it, but also just in the way that it feels because everyone comes in with slightly different experiences that have led them to need to get help. So for someone, it could be that they constantly have this calorie ticker going on in their head. And then for another person, it could be that they're frequently obsessed about the ingredients that they're eating. And then another person, it could be that they're so sick of feeling out of control and overeating every single day. They feel like they're so tired of it. And so 
those experiences make for unique and different end results in the sense that when those are removed, everyone has a different type of feeling and way that everything looks. But I think that what's really consistent is not just the fact that their mind space is so much more cleared up because they're not thinking about food all the time. They're not thinking about exercise, their body image. They just feel like it's not as much there, but also the fact that they just feel so much more at peace in the day-to-day with their decisions. And so it's just the fact that when you go out to eat with someone, you can focus on the conversation instead of obsessing about the food. When you are having a bad body image day, you don't feel like you have to change X, Y, and Z in order to make this change. When you are not exercising one day, right? It doesn't mean that you have to punish yourself with food or whatever it may be, right? That's the thing is I could list off like a hundred different experiences of what it could be like. But in my experience, the coolest part is that you almost don't even realize that you've reached the point of full freedom until you're there. And then you think to yourself, wait, I'm not doing the same things. I'm not thinking the same things. It's just natural. I'm able to just be here and be accepting and neutral. And as I have aged and continued to be, in my opinion, recovered, people argue about recovery versus recovered. And it's a whole conversation. I like recovered. (laughs) Sounds more motivating to me to be done with it. Um, As I've gone to this place, it's hard for me to even understand how I could possibly have lived the way that I used to. And it just feels so far away. And that is a really cool piece about freedom. I noticed it in experiences that were in the past really challenging. And now I just get to exist. And that's not even the best way to explain it, but it is a feeling that sometimes I find hard to even put into words because how can you convey that to someone that hasn't really had that experience? So, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I understand it because the other day I was literally sitting in my living room and I just couldn't fathom that my life, the way it is now and how it is that like, nothing is going wrong. <laughs> I was just going to sit there like, where is the chaos? I'm ready for it to come. Like, obviously I do have some chaos in my life, but it's not like, you know, over that line of what you believe is like your tipping point. And I was sitting there like 15 years ago, my life was in shambles, right? Just completely in shambles. And I'm now 15 years later and I could literally like, visualize my 15 year old self in the mirror and what I looked like, what my facial expressions were, what my emotions were. And for those to be like pretty much gone, it kind of blows my mind. And I I feel like it's almost like when people get to food freedom, they almost feel like mind blown that they've gotten that far because they remember the journey of when they started and being in that journey to that point. Um, And remembering like how hectic it was, how crazy it was, how like sometimes down it was, depressing, some happy moments. But then you're like, 
well, I made it. So what happens now? <laughs> like, do I just exist? And I, I feel like I've been sitting there like, okay, I'm loving the fact that I'm existing because I feel like I was just pushing through mud. Yes. It is definitely an adjustment period. One of the most impactful analogies that I use when it comes to food and just your relationship to yourself with this stuff is the relationship analogy. And most of us have been in a relationship, whether it be a romantic one or a platonic one that we can relate this to. And I talk about a toxic relationship as a poor relationship with food. And there are the high highs, there are the low lows, it is inconsistent, it is all over the place. When you're in it, it's hard, but then sometimes you can't imagine what it would be like to not be in it. And it's all of those emotions at once. It also allows for you to feel like there is constantly this pursuit of something else, right? Like that person is always telling you, you need to be better, you need to change or whatever it is. And that's very similar to that toxic relationship with food. Now, on the other side of the coin, we have the stable, the healthy relationship. The highs don't always feel as quote unquote high because they don't have the same low lows and it's just consistent. You're just continually working to maintain that positive place that you're at. And it feels extremely different than the toxic relationship. And oftentimes it's even hard to adjust to. It doesn't feel as quote unquote fulfilling because you're not acclimated to that type of lifestyle. But as you get used to it, kind of like you're saying, you are just like, okay, I'm kind of just enjoying like existing and not having all of these challenges pop up every second. And that's definitely what happens. And that type of analogy, I think, can put it into more context because a lot of the time we want food and exercise and body image to be something that we can get a grade on. I always make that analogy, right? Like we want to be able to get an A, but if you're getting an A, then you're not doing it correctly because it's not supposed to be a graded assignment. Yeah. Yeah. It almost reminds me of it's okay to feel like life is boring. Cause that means yes. you just <laughs> like, it was a, it was like a feeling I had to get used to. I was, life was just always exciting. There was never like, just like, can it just be boring for a second? And I will say it is something I still to this day have to get used to. Cause I feel like I'm always doing some different project or whatever. <laughs> like last year I did a book and then I was like, okay, what's next? And my husband's really good at that. Like, can we just not do anything? And I'm like, what do you mean not do anything? Like, we got to do something. (laughs) So, yeah, I think that's a good analogy to say, like, you know, you are at this point where you have a toxic relationship with food and we just want to get to a point where, like, it's consistent and you're not always going to feel that super high or that super low because it's not, I guess... It's not a roller coaster anymore. You're just kind of cruising on the Audubon in an electric car driving you. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for speaking to us again at the From Pain to Peace podcast. I do want to just give you a moment to let us know where we can find you again, website, and then how, if anyone's interested, how to actually get into your um, Live Unstricted program as well. Yeah, it was so fun to be here. My 
socials and website are pretty simple because my Instagram, TikTok, and website are all Mallory J page. So you can go to beingmalloryjpage.com or on Instagram or TikTok. You'll be able to find that info. But I will say my Instagram is somewhat of a hub. So if you go to Instagram, you go to the link in my bio, you'll find my program, my podcast, which just seems like diet culture and any other kind of links. I have a free challenge in there. Lots of good stuff. If you're interested in Live Unrestricted and working with me, we are currently accepting applications for our next round. So you can totally send in that application. You can find it on my website or at the link in my Instagram bio, or you can always shoot me a DM if you feel like you're not seeing it somehow. But it's a great place if you're wanting to work on all of the different things that we are talking about today with body acceptance to food, to exercise. So I'm always happy to answer questions that may come up if you're interested in it as well. Well, thank you so much. And you guys, if you're not following her on Instagram, I will tell you, she makes me think about the way I think about food quite often. And honestly, <laughs> it's helpful because sometimes I just have to take a pause and figure out if I'm okay <laughs> when it comes <laughs> to food. So, but thank you again, Mally, for joining us. Yes, thank you for having me. So just so you guys are aware, if you have listened through the full episode, I did want to just add that her applications for Live Unrestricted actually closes in May. So there's plenty of time if you want to join that program. And like she said, her website, Instagram and TikTok is Mallory J Page. Um, and you can go to their Instagram site to actually find everything. Um, if you just want to go onto Instagram, if not, you can go straight to our website and do applications. I do want to thank you for listening to the podcast. At from pain to peace podcast we are doing a lot more video episodes so hopefully you get a chance to view the video on spotify or view the video through our newsletter or on our website as well as youtube later in the year but i hopefully this episode has provided you with an understanding of how outside influences could really really be difficult in helping you heal from a disorder, an eating disorder, or any problems with food. And I don't want to just stop at food. It can also be detrimental sometimes to you healing from any traumas or mental health or anything in that nature. So just be aware of who you follow, who you interact with, what you have kind of removed from your life as well as some of the things you're doing in relation to physical, mental, and spiritual health and being mindful of what's around you, what you take in, um, whether you're ingesting it or taking in knowledge or listening into it. Um, and I say this because I know from my experience from teenage years into now that I'm 30, having to rewire my brain and rewiring those habits can be very harsh and hard to do, to be honest. When you develop habits, they kind of stick and ingrain with you, um, especially as you get older. So the sooner you kind of develop patterns and understanding your patterns from when you are bringing negative influences into yourself and start to revert that, the better it's going to be for you. So I would, if you are dealing with an eating disorder at any point in time or trauma, I always, always, if you read my blog, 
mention seeking help, whether that's therapist, psychiatrist, anyone that is meant to help. And I would recommend Mallory, especially when it comes to wanting to understand food freedom. I will say being able to feel like life is stable and that you are truly free is a very different feel from constant chaos and coming into your life. So again, make sure you listen to the rest of our episodes for season three. We'll have a bunch of great topics. We'll have different special guests throughout the year. Um, and make sure you also subscribe because subscribers will get all of the episodes, video and audio episodes for season three as well as season one and season two. So if you haven't listened to our first episode with me and Mally from season one, make sure you go back and listen to that. Um, and can't wait for the next episode. Make sure you subscribe so you know when they drop. See you soon.